Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Theology. Now, some of you, uh, at the end of this sermon, might remember it for uh, the conversation about pickup lines. But that's not what I want you to remember and take away from this sermon, all right? This sermon is going to be about something else. So let's look into what is it about, what is happening. Well, first of all, uh, today is a hard day to preach uh, because there are so many really good uh, texts to preach from. For instance, Romans talks about uh, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces what? Hope. And that hope the kind of a thing. But, but it says why hope doesn't disappoint us? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Right? That is why the hope doesn't disappoint us, right? Which we have achieved through all that. So it's a great topic to talk about, but I will not be talking about it, uh, right? Uh, and then uh, you have this story from Moses, another great one. I think every leader should uh, read that every morning. You know why? Because then that leader would not feel like, I'm the only one that people are complaining about. <laughs> right? <laughs> Moses, Moses also received the same treatment, right? And there is a very interesting thing in that story. Uh, God is, is giving this idea of leadership, and I'll come back to this idea of leadership because of what happened yesterday in our, uh, in our uh, Bible study uh, conversation. But God is saying, look, the idea of leadership is not to walk behind people and see mm, which way is the wind blowing. Oh, okay, this way. All right, we're going this way, right? That's not the idea of leadership. The idea of leadership is you get from behind the people and get in front of them, right? God says to Moses, get ahead of them. And then if Moses was to get a little too much in his head about, oh, I'm the one leading. What does God say to him? I will be there before you, meaning the real person leading this whole thing is God, right? It's God, and then God is asking Moses, and then Moses is asking everyone else to follow, but the person who's leading is God, because God is going ahead of everyone else. And then there is that beautiful miracle of water. And you can say, okay, there is that connection point with the water, uh, living water and the well and all that, and thirst and food and, and in the gospel story. I want to uh, focus on some of the aspects of the gospel story today. So, uh, how many of you are familiar with that story? Let's see. Let's, let's go there. Okay, a few, few of you are familiar with that story. Okay, let me ask you this question. Uh, what are the things that stand out to you from that story? What do you remember from that story? That is just resident in your head. The disciples were away, so it's a one-on-one -on -one interaction. 
Oh, okay, the disciples are away. It's a one-on-one interaction. That's a really, really good detail to remember, Chris. That's okay, awesome. All right, what else? It's just something that it's not about being right or wrong. It's about what do you remember? Right. Right, the living water. You will never be thirsty if you receive the living water. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So that's what you get out of that. Okay. The woman thinks that she is, uh, he's not going to talk to her because she is a Samaritan. Yeah, okay. Anything else that, that's just living in your, or residing in your head as a thing. He knew all about her, everything about her life, yes. Okay, anything else? Just something that, no right or wrong question, it's just about what you... She called him sir. Yeah, okay, she, oh, she called him sir as she's realizing that he is the prophet. Okay, anything else? No? She goes around telling everybody, oh, he knows about me, he knows everything about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so here's, here's how the story sometimes gets treated, okay? First of all, there are certain details in that story which make it very, very interesting. First of all, that detail that Chris picked on, which is that there is no one else at that well but who? Jesus and? and this Samaritan woman. They are the only two people. Now, now I want us to think about this well. What, uh, this, this well thing, okay? Uh, uh, if we were to, you know, transport ourselves into the modern day, uh, you know, you've heard that, that, that expression, the bar scene? Not in a while. <laughs> I love that, not in a while. <laughs> okay, what is the bar scene? What is the bar scene? Yeah, going out of the bar, meeting people, maybe maybe meeting somebody you'd like to quote, right? Okay, that's the bar scene, right? Well, guess what? Guess what? In the biblical times, we have number of stories in which people find their wives at the well. I call it the well scene. <laughs> right? Right? Isaac's wife is found there. Right? Uh, Jacob's wife is found there. Uh, some people even wonder if Moses' wife was found at the well. And it was in, through conversations like that, a young man would show up at the well and there would be all these women and he would be like, oh, I think that one I would like to talk to, right? <laughs> right? That's what the bar scene is, right? Uh, and that's, that's the well scene, right? Okay, so this gets very interesting because the writer is telling us that no one else is there, just Jesus and that woman. Okay? Now, the way we have 
kind of uh, constructed our ideas of Jesus, we don't see him in the role of courtship, do we? Right? And well, he was 30 years old. A man, 30 years old, why do we deny him that? But we don't, right? This is, this is the way our uh, religious thinking has developed. And not only that, when we hear this story about five husbands and now that you're living with is not your husband, there is, whether we like it or not, there is an implicit moral judgment made on the woman. Right? And here's what I want to say to you. The fact that it, this most likely was not a moral judgment has its proof not in the fact that, that there is a difference in culture, but in what this woman actually says and does. This woman is delighted that he knows everything about her. Right? If she was so ashamed about it, do you think she would have gone everywhere and said, guys, he knows everything about me? <laughs> yeah, right? It is our looking into this story and, and developing this kind of a moral thing. Whereas, what is going on? This woman is going everywhere and saying, what? He knows everything about me. And here's another thing. If we think that somehow this person's uh, uh, character was questionable, do you think that a woman, that the way we are perceiving her, would have so much influence that all these people say, oh really? Let us go and find out who this person is. Why would so many people follow her if she was not a person who could be taken seriously in that society? You see what I'm saying here? We are placing our own value system on this story. And in so doing, we are missing out the main point of this story. What is the main point of this story? The main point, my friends, is that there are Samaritans and there are Jews. And a little background about that. Now we don't know who the Samaritans really are. We don't really have any definitive uh, you know, text saying this is who the Samaritans are. But we do know a few things. What are the things that we do know? That they worshipped on two different mountains. That we do know. How do we know that? Because the text says that. Right? We do know that these two people, the Jews and the Samaritans, don't get along. How do we know that? Because the text tells us that, right? 
and, and more than that, we also have that from the story of the Good Samaritan. What makes Good Samaritan such a big deal that we use it as an expression and name organizations as Good Samaritan, right? Why? Because Samaritan was not supposed to be good, <laughs> right? There was this prejudice, bias towards the Samaritans that somehow a Samaritan could not be a good person. We saw the Samaritan with a particular lens, a lens of prejudice, the Jews did. So there is something going on between them. Uh, there, is a, there is a theory, and you know what a theory is. A theory is, in my book, a theory is, you will learn my definition of a theory. A theory is when you really cannot really prove it. But you have information here and there, right? And you develop a really convincing argument for your own self. And maybe some others will fall for it too. Right? I can't really prove it. My, my best case uh, example for that is the Big Bang Theory. Can't prove it, but it sounds like a good theory. <laughs> right? Same way, there are theories about who Samaritans were. Uh, one of the theories says that these were people who were taken away in an, in an exile uh, during the uh, Assyrian uh, conquest. And then, and then during that uh, conquest, they, they were taken away and they are the ones who came back with foreign wives. Now, what is wrong have with having a foreigner as your wife? First of all, I'll be very, very quick to say nothing wrong. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Keith would say the same thing. Right? Uh, <clears throat> but what was wrong in that culture about the foreign wife thing? Why was it problematic? Different religion, yeah. These wives might bring in a different religion. That's why the book of Ruth is so important because she says, your God shall be my God. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Right? Wherever you go, I will go. Right? That, that, why is it so important? Because not only that they would have different gods, but that they may bring the influence of a different god into the family structure. Right? Now, for those who want to be puritanical about it, guess what? Moses' wife was a foreigner. I love these, you know, God has a sense of humor. Just some people don't become a little too much about, oh yeah, you have to be very, very Jewish, right? Just pure, well, guess what? Moses' wife was a foreigner. How do we know that? His father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, was the priest of a different religion. Right? Okay. So, that was the tension there. So. Now you have Jews and you have Samaritans, whatever the theory you may apply, whoever they were, whatever the origins of these two groups were, 
there were some common things between them. And what do you think is the common thing between them? The text actually says that today. Where is this story taking place? Yes! She says, our ancestor Jacob, meaning they have a common grandpa. Right? They have a common grandpa, Jacob. So, what I call this relationship is that they are so close to each other that they just cannot stand each other. <laughs> right? They're so close to each other that they just cannot, cannot deal with each other. They have these differences and they're having a really hard time with each other. What happens by the end of the story? Jesus stays with the Samaritans for two days. Not only that, but the Samaritans start believing in Jesus as the Messiah. Something that the Jews were also doing. That is a miracle. If you were in that situation, that is a miracle. Right? Now how does it come about? How does that miracle come about? We would call it reconciliation, right? But how does it come about? Jesus says something very interesting to the woman. When the woman kind of pushes him and says, oh, but you Jews think that we should worship on, in Jerusalem on that holy mountain, but we believe over here, right? And Jesus goes into this very interesting word construction, which ends with the salvation is from the salvation is from the Jews. I want us to just stop and think about it. You see, when we are trying to have reconciliation with someone, what do we do? We leave out all the sticky issues. We don't want to talk about them. This was a big sticky issue. Is it going to be from the Jews or someone else? Right? We don't want to talk. We want to talk about the hard stuff later once we have established a common ground. Once we have established a nice relationship with each other by avoiding all of the difficult things that are between us. Then what are we going to do? Then once our, once our relationship is established, then we can turn to the difficult points such as where is the salvation going to come from? Jews or the Samaritans? Right? Where is the Messiah going to appear from? Right? Among, amongst which community? And what is Jesus say, doing? 
he starts out with the most sticky point. He starts out with saying, salvation is from the Jews. Now, in our way of doing things, that would be a conversation stopper, wouldn't it? At this point, the woman would say, okay, that's it, thank you very much. But what has happened in that story? Jesus has actually revealed to her the significance of something that we usually have a very hard time with. The significance of truth. Jesus is not going to hide away from the truth. He puts it out there up front. This is the truth, lady. Just as the truth is that you have had five husbands and the one that you are with is not your husband. That is the truth. And what is it that fascinates that woman? His ability to speak. His ability to speak truth. And that truthfulness brings about that miracle of bringing people together. Because Jesus says that the hour is near, in fact it has come, when the true worshippers will do what? Will worship God in, help me out here, in what? In spirit and truth, in spirit and truth. True worshippers will worship him in spirit and truth. I don't want to ruin our next Bible study session because I'm sure Chris has this passage uh, also included in, in, in that because it talks about the Holy Spirit. And today's uh, reading from Romans also talks about the pouring of God's love into us through the Holy Spirit. My friends, what is it about this Holy Spirit? This Holy Spirit leads us. I close this by sharing with you. Yesterday, somehow or the other, we got into this conversation about this thing called the Holy Spirit. Okay. How do we know it is the Holy Spirit? Because sometimes we can hear voices and they can seem like, oh, that must be the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine for a moment, we started this season of Lent with the story of Jesus being led to the wilderness by the devil? Was led by the Holy Spirit. 
to be tempted that's exactly right that's exactly right we find it an absolutely abhorrent concept that the holy spirit being holy would lead us into temptation because we pray day after day lead us not into temptation <laughs> right for us it's a very difficult concept to think that the holy spirit would actually lead jesus to be tempted by the devil that's a very difficult concept for us so it makes us discerning whether it is the holy spirit or not extremely difficult because you are hearing this thing that saying let's go over there and you're saying that cannot be the holy spirit <laughs> right so what is the criteria by which we know that it most likely we can never know but what is it that we can you know say most likely this is the holy spirit my friend at least for me the criteria is pretty simple which is in the reading today the criteria is whatever we are being led toward the movement of the holy spirit is it moving us towards the completion of the call that is on us the the commission that god has given all of us that god gave christ to complete that christ said i'm here to complete his work what is that work the kingdom god's kingdom to be made real on earth and my friends that is why god's kingdom cannot be made real by by being untruthful by being dishonest by being being trying our level best to hide the truth that's not how god's kingdom is made real on earth god's kingdom is to be made real on earth that is what god has sent jesus to do that is what his disciples are supposed to do that is our purpose that is why we exist that is why the holy spirit is there to help us in that work so if our actions even that of being uh, you know if on landing in the wilderness with the devil if that is going to help us work towards the completion of bringing bringing god's kingdom into earth yes that is the work of the holy spirit my friends that is the work of the holy spirit and that gets poured into our hearts to do that kind of work now yesterday and i would want to close with this yesterday uh with this conversation about the holy spirit we landed into a place of how are we in our and chris brought this up and which is so pertinent again work of holy spirit chris because i don't know if you were thinking that but today's lessons were about leadership of moses right <laughs> right god is saying to moses be a leader get out of the back and get in front now what how as leaders do we see the work of the holy spirit meaning how do we ascertain ourselves to be leaders in the community that's a very pertinent question for all of us to ask and i in very briefly argue that 
And this is coming with three people who were there who were actually saying that there was a time when uh, we used to think that we, you know, you become a part of the church and, um, and then uh, gradually you, you find your way on the vestry. And then, um, and then you are somebody, right? And then from the vestry, you kind of like uh, achieve a little bit more nirvana, if you will, and you become, uh, you know, maybe the clerk, right, of the vestry. And then, and then, then you get a little bit more nirvana, and then you end up as, uh, you know, a treasurer, and, and, and maybe junior warden, and then finally you are on top of that pyramid, and you are the senior Now you are the most holy person around. <laughs> right? Now, the funny thing is, we can laugh about it, but if we are honest, that's how people perceive this church thing to be all about. Right? That is, frankly, that's what all this power struggle has been. Right? Right? And so my point is, this is my argument, if the mission of the church is to preserve and perpetuate the institution of the church, then yes, that is how we should think. That is how we should think. That's correct. You got the message right. However, if the mission and purpose of the church is to bring the kingdom of God on earth, then guess what? There's a different kind of leadership and a different leadership understanding that has to evolve. And what is that? The people who are helping each other come closer to Jesus Christ, whether it is by leading small groups, by leading discipleship, by leading Bible study, by making sure that the, the altar is properly adorned for worship, whether it be altar guild or flower guild, those people who are making sure that people's prayer requests are making their way here, people who are helping with, uh, you know, the, the ushering of it, the people who contribute their voice to it, uh, right? All of that is leading to what? Creating a community in which the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ, the truth about God, can be made known. Then, my friends, all those roles are extremely important. And then, the role of the vestry is to service all of these, make sure they have funding, to do everything that they need to do. Right? You see how it's a completely different way? And I was so happy that the people present yesterday at that uh, Bible study actually themselves started this conversation that that is the evolution of thought they are at today. And to me, that, my friends, is the success of what we are doing here at St. Paul's. For we are moving into a space where we will worship God in truth, 
and in spirit and we will say that lord we are here to complete your work that is what we are here for and i thank you all for being active participants in the mission of god may the lord god give us the strength to live live our faith out in truth guided by the holy spirit amen